This will be uh, my last message for the time being out of Colossians. Kevin will begin next week leading up to Easter. And uh, we'll pick back up with Colossians after that. So um, I appreciate your diligence and patience as we've made our way through part of the book. And if you'll notice this morning, we're going to actually go backwards a little bit. We're going to look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I, I was just struck by the fact that what Paul wrote here is of such significance to us in our day to day. What the way Paul writes about Jesus here. And in some of my studying, there, there were a number of commentators that believed that this was actually a song in the early church. And Paul um, either modified it or, or listed it as, as it is here in, this, in his letter to the Colossians. Um, and and it, it behooves us, it does us good if we would study things like this. Because what Paul expresses here in Colossians chapter 1, what he says about Christ is for all time. It's for all time. I, and one of the reasons it struck me is, is, is I've lived 68 years. Um, something's become aware. I've become aware of something. You know, the answer to every single ill of mankind in general and of each individual person in particular, the solution for every trouble that we have, for every heartbreak that we experience, for every broken relationship, that, for every evil that plagues our culture is found in the nature and work and the person of Jesus Christ. The answer for all of it is found in him. That he's not known, loved, esteemed, and worshipped for who he is and what he's accomplished on behalf of those far from God. That he is not acknowledged as the King of kings and Lord of lords has led to every malady and wickedness that we've seen down through history. Including in us. In me. Uh, Bob said something this morning, I believe it was, that in Sunday school about... And, and making a good point, he said, who is, the, who is the person that you like the least? The person you just really don't like to be around. <laughs> I had to think, I see him every morning in the mirror. You know, there's times I can't stand myself. And you know, the more I learn of myself, the, the deeper that feeling, that sense gets. Because I'm my own worst enemy. As you are, you're your own worst enemy. We all are. We can't blame anybody else for my problems. Although we're, we tend to want to. I mean, that comes all the way back to the garden, right? I mean, that's what Adam and Eve did. You know, Eve blamed the serpent. Adam blamed Eve and in effect blamed God. And the serpent just slithered off. We want to blame other people. And it's this very thing that causes our own internal turmoil as believers. Whether it's in our daily battle against sin in ourselves or, or when we come against a circumstance in our life, a difficulty that we have trouble reconciling between 
wickedness and, prob- and problems and trouble in, the, in our own life and the fact that we know that God is good and omnipotent and omniscient. How do we reconcile the troubles in our own life with what we know of the character and nature of God? How do we reconcile those two things? That's why Paul, I said, I believe in, in Romans chapter 1, wrote as he did, and I, I actually preached a, a three or four messages out of Romans chapter 1 about this, why we need the gospel, why the church needs the gospel. You know, we as believers need to hear the gospel time and time again because we tend to be forgetful hearers. We tend to forget what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. People that could not do it ourselves, people could not earn our way to be right with God. No, nothing in, within us, God looks at and says, well, I like that. I want them to be my." Listen, God chose us when we were his enemies. And Christ came to redeem his lost sheep. That's what he came to do. And it's why Paul, I believe, wrote to the Romans. He said, I, I'm, that's why I'm eager to preach the gospel to you at Rome. He's eager to preach the gospel to the church. I let that sink in. You know, some people probably wonder, well, why do I need to hear the gospel? I've heard it time and time and time again. You know why? Because you need to hear it again and again and again. We do. And it's why Paul wrote what he did in Colossians here. And you know, it's amazing to me. He, Paul is writing to a church in Colossae that he never had visited before, but he had heard of their faith and their love and their hope. And he heard that, that they understood the grace of God in truth and that they understood what the gospel was and they responded to the gospel. But Paul still wrote as he did to these people telling them who Christ was, what he had done for them, about his character and nature and who he was. Folks, if we ever get tired of hearing who Christ is, we're in trouble. I, I read something that John Newton wrote. And, and it's cited in one of his works, and I can't remember which one it was. But, you know, John Newton was a former slave trader that, that wrote Amazing Grace. And he said it would fail the tongue of men and angels to sound the depth of this one sentence. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Not even the angels could sound the depth of that. Not even angels, not every theologian together can, can fully understand and communicate the depth of that one sentence, that one statement. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Folks, it boggles the mind when we understand who we were and who Christ is, that he would do what he did for us. It, it's, it's, beyond, it's beyond us to grasp. We need to dwell on, and here's the thing, I, we need to dwell on the fact, I, I don't know who I was, if somebody on through social media this week, uh, somebody here, I don't even remember who it was. Um, we were back and forth and, and we, were just, we were discussing the fact that how people three or 400 years ago wrote as they did. You know, you can read some of the things that are just so profound and you wonder where they get this. And, and we, we, you know how they did, you know why? Because they had nothing else to, occupy, to distract them like we do. You know, we got television, we got social media, we got all these other out and things going on out. You know what they had time to do? To study. 
They had time to fellowship. They had time to grow in their faith. They, not, not just, they took the time to. They made the time. We don't. You know, they, they, they were no brighter than we are. It's just that they gave priority to what they saw as being eternal matters, whereas we spend a lot of time on temporal matters that won't matter at all. You know, there's a, I, someone said one time, I, and I, there's more truth to it than we realize. Look, if it doesn't matter 100 years from now, it doesn't really matter now. I mean, that you, there are exceptions that I understand. But listen, what's going to matter now is what's important 100 years from now. It's what's important when I'm gone. It's what's important in eternity. And that's where our minds are not firmly fixed. They're not firmly fixed on where Christ is, on things above. We need to give thought, deep thought, time to meditate on what Christ has accomplished for us and on the nature of who he is and, and what he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection, his ascension, and his place right now at the Father's right hand. And what is he doing right now? We're told he's making intercession for the saints. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, folks. If nobody else is praying for you, your Lord is. And he's at the right hand of the Father, right? And he knows your deepest need. And that's what he's praying for. I, something occurred to me over these last few days as, as I was talking to someone else. And, you know, the things that we pray for, God doesn't answer in that particular manner. Here's an example. If you pray for patience, God's not going to give you patience, is he? He's going to send situations in your life where you're going to have to learn patience to deal with it. If you ask for strength, God will bring you to a situation where you do not have the strength to deal with it. If you say, Lord, increase my faith, he's going to bring you into a situation where... <laughs> It will grow your faith. You see how God answers prayer. It doesn't, he didn't always just give you exactly what he brings it about. But bear in mind what, what Isaiah said that, listen, God exists in a sphere we can't grasp. He said, my ways are higher than your ways. And as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't think like we do, and his ways are not what ours are. And so we need to quit trying to pigeonhole God in, in, a, in a box and say, God needs to act this way. God needs to think that God needs to bring it about like this. I want the end here, but I don't want to have to struggle to get to it. I don't want to have to suffer to get to that point. And we're going to get to that a little more here in just a minute. But he's praying for us saints those that belong to him. And he's risen from the grave to give life, eternal life to all who repent and trust him. That's why Paul writes as he did in our text this morning in Colossians chapter one. I'm gonna read them again. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 23. Here's what Paul writes. He said, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all things, excuse me, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you this morning. God, we thank you for the praise that was sung earlier and for the prayers that have already been made. God, for the word that, that's been read. And Father, now we, we bow before you and not just our heads, but God, I pray our hearts as well. And as we've sung in, in complete surrender to what your word says to us this morning, Father, would you speak to us through your word? Father, that everything that's said and everything that's done and every response made, God, would be to the honor and glory of Christ our Lord and for your own glory. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. There are three things that I've noted in your bulletin that we're going to touch on this morning. And again, folks, listen, there's no way that we can complete this in just a few moments. I've often wondered what Paul was teaching in the book of Acts when Eutychus fell out the window and died and they brought him up and he said he continued talking until daybreak. I've got a feeling it was about the character and nature of Christ. I can't think of anything else that you could talk for 10 or 12 hours on and then take up somebody that was dead and see him brought back to life and then continue. It's got to be something important. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say? If God brought a young man back to life and, and the preacher kept preaching, uh, it, it wasn't about, you know, a new car. It wasn't about a new cart or a new horse. It wasn't about a new job. Listen, it was about something far more important than anything else. And I'm sure Paul spent a great deal of time talking about the majesty of the one that delivered him from death. First, we're going to look at three things. Number one, his nature, who he is. Secondly, his work, what he's done. And then thirdly, his honor, why the Father sent him. So we're going to look at some of these verses. And there were some things that leapt out on the text to me and. There were four things in particular. One, look at what the focus is. It says by him, for him, through him, and in him. Those four things, what Paul brings out numerous times, by him, for him, through him, and in him. In other words, 
Everything that's done is done for Christ. God has done everything he does to make much of his son. Isn't it remarkable? He doesn't do anything that's not for the benefit and for the praise and for the honor and glory of his son and for his own glory. That's why God does everything. That's why everything takes place. In some way, it brings glory to God. Now, there's going to come a time when God is going to be glorified in separating the sheep from the goats. And the sheep will be brought into his kingdom and the goats will be cast out. Listen, that will bring glory to God. God will be glorified in judging those that are outside. But there are a number of things about Christ. Number one, his nature. Look what it says. He is. In verse 15, the first part of verse 15, it said, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, that doesn't mean that he's the physical image because we know God is spirit, right? God has no physical appearance. Christ, he, the image he's talking about here is his very character and nature. And, and <coughs> excuse me, I don't know how Bob gets all into my message uh, during Sunday school, um, but he touched on it this morning, the fact that, that what, what Jesus um, told Philip in chapter 14 of John, remember when Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough. And Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long and you, you don't know the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he didn't mean see him physically standing there, but, but his, the way he behaved, his character, his nature, the people that he ministered to. You know, it's amazing to me that Jesus never saw someone suffering and then walked away from them. Now, some people walked away from him. But the broken, Jesus welcomed. And one of the most incredible pictures that I see in Scripture is, is the woman, when Jesus is eating in the, in the Pharisee's house, and, and the, the, the woman, this sinful woman comes in and begins to weep and wet his feet with her tears and and wipe, wipe them dry with their hair. Remember how the Pharaohs and, and the Pharisees said, if, it's, if this man was a, really a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. Listen, Jesus knew exactly what kind of woman she was. He knew exactly. And he said, you love me, your sins are forgiven. She saw more in him than that religious man did. She saw who Christ, listen, you know, part of the problem in this world today is that we don't bring people to the place where they see the need of Savior. She saw herself a sinner, and so she, she sought him out. You're not going to seek a Savior unless you know you need saving. You're not going to seek a Redeemer unless you know you need to be rescued from where you are. And that's what, what Paul told us in, a little earlier than our text. He said that God through Christ, delivered us from, the, from the, the power, from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. God delivered us when we couldn't deliver ourselves. And he transferred us. He brought us into the kingdom of his son. That's what Christ did. And that's who he is. He's, a, again, not his physical nature, but his attributes. Everything God is, 
Jesus is. Jesus didn't set aside a single attribute of God when he came to this earth. He still was he's omnipotent, he was omniscient. He was still holy. He was still holy. Everything that God the Father is, God the Son is also. Hebrews 1.3 tells us the same thing. Hebrew, listen to what Hebrews 1.3 says. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. There was not a single thing that Christ lacked in his likeness to God. Secondly, number, he's, he also was the firstborn of all creation. Now, there's some her heretical teachings out there that want to take that to mean that he was the first created being. That's not what that means. He said he's the firstborn of all creation. That firstborn as far as inheritance. He's the firstborn of the Father. He is the one who inherits from the Father. And the remarkable thing is that those who belong to Christ are joint heirs with him. We will share in his inheritance. <laughs> Listen, God doesn't withhold from his children. What his son inherits, so will we. What a promise. And, and the things that we desire of this earth, can you imagine? The things we spend our time trying to acquire and trying to hold on to and trying to be and God says, child, if you just knew what you're going to inherit, if you just knew what you were going to, listen, the earth belongs to Christ. Everything belongs to him. Aren't we told that the meek shall inherit the earth? We're going to inherit it. The earth will, the new heavens and the new earth, listen, we will inherit it. We will share in that inheritance with Christ. So whatever you think you need here on this earth, whatever you think is going to make you happy physically, whatever thing that you're longing for, whatever thing that you're working hard to acquire, to hold on to, it's going to burn up. It's going to burn up. Secondly, or thirdly, his name, he also is before all things in verse 17. First part of verse 17, he is before all things. Before anything was, Christ was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He was there before anything was. And, John, and his high priestly prayer in John 17, he asked the Father, he said, Father, the glory that I had with you before the world was. He, he preexisted the world. He was not created. He's eternal like the Father. He is before all things. All things hold together by him. All things, last part of verse 17. He sustains everything. He's the reason life continues, that the stars continue in the sky, that the that daylight and dark continue. The, the cycles that we see, the summer, fall, winter, spring, those things happen because Christ sustains it all. You know, it's amazing to me that 
Uh, and I, I didn't get this scripture down, but you know, in, in, in 2 Peter chapter, chapter 3, listen, I want you to listen to something. When you take into the fact that, that Christ sustains everything, that everything keeps going on like it always has been. And the reason it does, because he sustains it. Listen to this. In John, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days scoffing, following their own sensual, uh, sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Listen, the very fact that Christ sustains everything and everything continues on as it has been in the past, the scoffers use as an excuse to say Christ isn't coming. But it's a very sustaining that Christ, that's why they do continue. Can, do you see the irony there? The things continue on as they are. He's not coming back. Dude, listen to me. The reason they do continue is because he sustains it. Do you see the irony? They see it as being, well, he can't be there. He can't exist. He's not coming back because he hadn't come back yet. Listen, the reason he hadn't because he's still sustaining everything because the minute he returns, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And this earth will not, will no longer be subject to decay. I, I, I've got a feeling the whole earth, it'd just be a, a garden of Eden. The whole thing. There won't be any deserts. There won't be any place where death occurs. Can you imagine what it'll be like? Not just a little place where there's a garden where God, and God will dwell among us. It said the kingdom of heaven will come down to earth. That's what Revelation tells us. Folks, what the thing to look forward to. All things hold together. He sustains everything. Also, he is the head of the body, the church. It's the head is what animates, what moves, and what motivates the body. Our head is what does that for our physical body. And as a Lord of the church, He's the one that's to motivate the body, to animate the body, to give the body movement. What we do and everything we do here is to glorify God, right? Isn't that what, what our church slogan or motto is? Everything we do here, we do for the glory of God, right? Each individual life ought to be the same way. Everything we do should be done for the glory of God. That's what Paul said that very thing. Whatever you do, do all of the glory of God. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Do it as though you're doing it unto the Lord. Paul even tells that, the Colossians, that very thing later on in the book when he talks about their job, when their work. You're serving the Lord Christ. You're not serving men. When you go to work tomorrow, keep that in mind. You're not working for yourself primarily. You're working for Christ. You're representing him in the marketplace. Not like we're not trying to please people. And I, I heard a man telling, talking one time about a friend of his that he went to visit him where he worked. And he said, he, he, said, uh, he was just standing back there by a table and he was kind of wiping some things. And he asked him, what are you doing? And he said, well, I found out something. I just always keep a couple rags with me. And whenever anybody starts looking, he sits out, I start wiping stuff down. And they think I'm busy. You see, I please him. 
That's the only reason he was doing anything is because he didn't want to get caught doing nothing. And one day he's going to be held accountable for the way he sloughed off at his job. Listen, when you clock in tomorrow, when you show up at work, bear in mind, I'm representing Christ here. And our work is unto him. You say, well, Brother Steve, you don't know the man I work for, the woman I work for. I don't care. I don't care. Jesus didn't qualify it. He said, as long as you're working for a good person, then give it your all. No, he said, even if you get beaten, you still work as under Christ. If you get mistreated. Listen. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In everything. Nobody will take first place from Christ. He's, a, he's preeminent. Preeminent. Lastly, um, in his, who he is, it, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. All God's fullness. Whoever God was, what God was, Christ was. You know, we can say that time and time again. Don't forget, listen, God never changes, right? Jesus doesn't change. If he welcomed a sinful woman back then, he'll welcome a sinful woman now. If he welcomed an adulterer then, he'll welcome an adulterer now. If he welcomed a thief, if he welcomed sinners, he welcomes them still. He still does what he did then. Not only is that who he is, but also look at his work by him and through him. In verse 16, it said, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. There's not a thing that was created that he didn't create. Whether we can see it or not. That invisible realm out there, Christ created that, is, that also. Every angel that exists, Christ created. Even one named Lucifer. And the third of the angels that fell with him, Christ made every single one of them. The things we see, the things we can't see. And he made it all for his own purpose, for his purpose. And they will, listen, I know Satan, I don't know what, the, I don't know what he's like. Hey, I know he thinks way too much of himself. Because all he does is fulfill what, exactly what God wants you to do. Do you know that? He can't do anything outside of God's will. What he does, he does under the authority of, of the throne of heaven. Now you think, why in the world would God give him that freedom? I don't know. You'll have to ask Job. Jo Listen, Job was a righteous man. And God gave him free reign over Job's, except to take his life. And Job never really did understand the depth of it. But Job did say this. After God confronted him, he did say this. He said, I heard of you with the ear, but now my eye sees you. In other words, he, his, 
God enlightened him through it all. He saw God in a way he never would have seen him before. Listen, when you suffer, God isn't making you suffer because he is capricious. The reason you're suffering is because God wants you to learn something about him that you would not have known otherwise. There are things about God you will not learn without suffering. Without being tried. I, we've got to learn that, folks. We've got to learn that. That God doesn't do things because he, just, he gets a kick out of seeing us waller in self-pity. And I, we're going to cover a little bit that, more of that in just a minute. So all things were created for him. And look, by him we created everything. And through him he reconciles to himself all things. There is no reconciliation with God outside of Christ. You cannot come to God on your own. The only way to God is through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's the only, that's the only means we have of being reconciled to God. In other words, to be, take what he talks about when he says that you were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. I mean, that's, that's a sinner. That's every one of us before we came to Christ. Every one of us were that way. And the only way to be made right with God, the only way to be reconciled is through the death of Christ. Listen, God is angry with sin every single day. And I've heard people say, listen, I've heard people say, and you've got to listen carefully. Okay, listen. I've heard people say, that God loves the sinner but hates the sin. Listen, God does not cast the sin into hell. He casts the sinner into hell. Do you understand that? Don't think for one minute that God loves you and he just hates the stuff you're doing if you're outside of Christ. Listen, God hates wickedness. And if you're outside of Christ, God looks at you as being wicked and you're not in any way in his favor. The reason you're drawing breath right now is because of God's being patient. God's being merciful. And to know you need to turn to Christ and not do it, you're presuming on the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. Don't. To quote our president, don't. Don't. Don't presume on God. Through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Listen, it took the blood of the cross to make peace with God. Don't think you can do it on your own. Verse 21. And you who once alienated and, and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And why did he do that? In order, look, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's why God redeems anyone. And so you'll be presented before him. Look at the descriptors there. <coughs> Excuse me, holy, blameless, and above reproach. 
That's why Christ died on the cross for sinners. Is to take one who was first alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Here is this person that before was a wicked sinner. And now Christ is going to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Can you imagine the thought of that? That's what Christ did for us. The Father qualified us. If you go back and read verses 12 through 14, he qualified us, he delivered us, he transferred us to his kingdom. It's all his work. It's all his work. And it's all for his glory. That's the only reason he saves anyone. And it's also for his honor, lastly. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Christ is both the agent and the goal of creation. For his honor and his glory is why everything exists. Again, Bob touched on this in in Sunday school this morning. Philippians chapter 2. This is what Paul writes. He said in verse 8, he said, Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's what's going to take place one day. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing the devil himself bow before him and confess, you are Lord of all. Because that's what will happen. There'll not be a person in this world that will stand before him and not confess him as Lord. But I love what Paul told the Thessalonians when he comes. He said when he comes that those who know him, he will come to be marveled at. Can you imagine gazing on that face? Can you imagine seeing him? The one that died for me. The one that rescued me from from eternal destruction. Knowing who I am and what I'm like. He did that for me. In John chapter 5, verse 21 through 23. For as the Father raised the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Why? Verse 23. That all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whosoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Listen, Jesus will have the same honor the Father has. Why is that? Because God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, our triune God exists as one. Exists, there's one will, there's one purpose, there's one for everything. They work together for one purpose, and that is to glorify the Son. That's why God has done what he's done. 
everything that happens, everything exists, everything is for the purpose and glory and honor and praise of Christ who ultimately glorifies the Father. Now there's a final encouragement that Paul gives here and you think may take it as a, as a warning, but I believe as much as anything, it's an encouragement, it's a motivate. Look, in ver the last verse in, verse, um, in Colossians chapter one we've, in our text, he said, it presents you holy and blameless before him, uh, above reproach before him. Look, if indeed you continue in the faith, steadfast, or stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Look, that's not question. He's not questioning the fact of our eternal security. That's not what he's saying there. What he is saying is that, listen, if you're a believer in Christ, if you follow Christ, if he's your Lord and Savior, the goal of our life ought to be to stand before him holy, blameless, and above reproach. And the only way for that to happen is that if we continue in the faith. Now, look, the faith, understand, he puts a definite article in front of it. He's not just talking about if you continue in faith. If you keep believing him, that's not what he's saying. If you keep believing in Christ, that's not what he, that's not the point. He's saying the faith, everything that involves the faith. Everything about the faith. God saving us from our lostness. God molding us into his image, into Christ's image. His, his soon return and a new heavens and a new earth and everything that is involved in those things to continue in the faith. The things that, that you've been taught, the things that you've learned about how to live as a Christian life, how the Christian life is to be lived in the world. Hebrews chapter two, verse nine through 10, listen what he says. He said, but we see him for a little while made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should be made founder of, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through, through suffering. Now that does not mean that Jesus wasn't perfect before. What that means is that in his flesh he suffered sinlessly. Do you understand that? He, listen, if he made the founder of our faith perfect through suffering, what makes us think that our faith can be secure outside of suffering? Do you think we're going to be made perfect without suffering? You see, we've got this false idea, and, and I've got a feeling, and this has come on in the last maybe 60 years or 80 years maybe, We've got the false idea of what it means to, to walk with Christ. We think it means having every single thing we want, never being sick, never having a need, children never want. We think our life ought to be, listen, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's one of the things Jesus promised in six, John 16, 33. But we seem to skim over those things and think, look, why is everything upside down in my life? Child, listen to me. God is molding you in the image of his son. Your son who suffered for you to bring you to himself. Don't think you're going to get there without suffering. It isn't going to happen. No athlete, no athlete ever excels 
without suffering? None. Not a single one does. We're going to suffer. And I'll tell you why that is. Because we won't learn any other way. We won't learn it. God can't just say, do this and live. We've got to suffer in order for it to happen. And you know why God uses suffering? Because he used it to get our attention. It's two, I think there's twofold reason for suffering. Number one is to burn off the desires of our flesh. And secondly, to draw our attention to himself. How far down does God have to bring us before we look up to him? I mean, too often we say, God, I can handle this. We don't say those words, but we, we go about our lives like that, right? Well, I can handle this. I, I, I wonder, I, sometimes I wonder if God doesn't just shake his head. Well, go on, knothead. Well, that's what he would say to me. Uh, Debbie would tell you that. Or my mother-in-law would tell you that. Go on. Try it your way. And when you get to the end of yourself, I'm here. God, hurry up and bring me to the end of myself. God will use whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, child, listen to me. If you're a believer, God will do whatever it takes in your life to mold you into the image of his son. And it's not going to look the same for everybody. Because I've got things in my life, every one of us do, we've still got that residual sin nature, and we still sin. There's still remain, what the old saints used to call remaining corruptions in us. Can I get a witness? Yeah, every one of us. Every single one of us. And God will use whatever it takes to burn those things up. To mold us into the image of his son. That's why Paul, I think, wrote what he did here in the latter part of chapter 1. Is to turn our attention to eternal matters. Even though these people had faith, love, and hope. They knew God's grace. Their pastor bragged on the way they were bearing fruit and growing in the knowledge of God. But God wasn't done with them. God will never be through with you as long as you draw breath on this earth. He will never be through. Never be through. Folks that do us good, if we just say, God, have your way. For all the things in this world that we desire, the number one thing we ought to desire, God, make me like Christ. Make me like him. And don't forget what I told you. He's not just going to bop you on the head and say, you're like Christ. <laughs> He's going to burn off what needs to be burned off. He's going to grind off those sharp edges. He's going to sand where it's going to, listen, it's going to be painful. But oh, there's coming a day. There's coming a day. We're going to stand before him. Complete. A bride dressed in white raiment. And I believe we're going to hear something. In the book of Zephaniah, I'm going to read you one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. 
Listen to what Zephaniah writes. And this is talking about when at the end, Israel, the end of the, end of the days when, when Israel is re- restored. In Zephaniah chapter 2, or chapter 3, excuse me. I'm going to read one verse, verse 17. Listen to this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Get that. That God will be filled with gladness as we're before him. That God will quiet you with his love. And that he will, listen, he will exult over you with loud singing. I can't imagine. You're going to know when we'll fall down before him. I think it's when that takes place. When he begins to rejoice that we're there, that his bride is present with him. That we will fall down in such worship that we've never known. When our Lord sings over us. Oh my goodness. I can't even begin to imagine. I can't begin to imagine what it would be like. You see, that's what it means to keep, to set our minds on things above. To seek what's up above. It's to seek, to be who he is here. And ask our Father, God, do what you have to do. I want to be like Christ. Mold whatever you have to mold. Cut off whatever you have to cut off. Grind what you have to grind. God, put me through whatever I have to go through because that's all that's going to matter in eternity. It won't matter. My fame won't matter or my infamy won't matter. Nothing I have Nothing I acquire here will be hauled there. Everything that I desire should be there. Are your desires there? Are you willing to pay whatever cost to hear that song? Let's pray. Father, God, we are so very grateful. And when we could not reach you, you came to us. God, when we didn't know how, you showed us the way by sending your own son. And Father, when we were powerless, God, your power set us free. And God, when we were unlovable, you loved us with an everlasting love. Father, thank you for that. God, restore us to yourself. Draw us to yourself. God, by your spirit and through your son. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.